Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and praise you for the gift of faith and family and the way that your family of God, your family, Lord, is filled with your spirit. So Lord, please help us today to speak in a way that will bring encouragement, inspiration, and some guidance, Lord, for all those who are listening. Lord, meet them where they're at. And you speak a word, Lord, the Lord, the word that, um, that you most want them to hear. Thank you, Jesus. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Carrie, today on the program, we're going to cover a lot of ground. I've got a beautiful letter that comes from St. John Bosco that uh, he wrote to his uh, brother priests um, in the Salesian order, that which he founded, uh, about taking care of orphan boys. And I read this. You remember when I was I was doing my uh, prayer time, and you were there, and I and you said you said to me, "What's the word from God?" Didn't you remember you saying that? Yes. What's God's word to you? And I said, "Oh, I got a word for you, dear." And I think you said, "I think you need to get your own word." Is that what I said? Something like that. And then <laughs> I can't remember. And I think it was yesterday. <laughs> I don't know. It's a back and forth. It was silly. Anyhow, I'm sorry. Keep going, Tom. It was a really good word. It was a powerful word. So we're going to share that powerful word because it is some of the most profound insights into being a father or a mother to children coming from a priest. <laughs> a celibate priest is giving us profound insights into how to lovingly guide and correct young boys and teenage I think, well, boys. And I think it has to deal with anger. Like, what do you do when you are up against your last straw and the kids have tested you? And how are you able to be a witness of God's patience, gentleness, kindness, humility? And yet you... See, I think when you read this, all of us could relate to being in this moment where, oh, darn, I did it again. I lost my temper. I got angry. I... But then at the same time, you feel justified as a parent because you're providing correction. So someone has to say something. Yep. <laughs> Not that it ever works. <laughs> and so he was contrasting that with how do you really let them hear your, it's not your voice, it's your actions. Yeah, so we're going to uh, cover that. And in, later in the program, we're also going to uh, dive into conversations in the stands. Conversations in the stands. We spend a lot of time in the stands watching basketball games these days. And we've had some recent conversations that has led to interesting, I thought, um, follow-ups with the two of us, Carrie, you and I, talking about the gift and some of the challenges that are involved in being part of the Novus Ordo Mass, which is the Mass folks that you typically are accustomed to, versus the traditional Latin Mass. And we're going to hear about some of the, the strengths and limits of both and how we experience that in our own lives, we who attend both Masses. Um, what are some of the strengths and what are the, some of the limits with both of those? And uh, as well as some other, I think, gosh, some really interesting con um, uh, examples of witness. Witness. What do you witness to um, in the stands in terms of what you see in the crowds based on the school that you're at? And um, from the idea of visible witness that comes even in the manner of dress of priests and seminarians. So I love that. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to be able to talk about that. And if we have time, Carrie, we're going to continue our uh, transparent conversation about finances, if we have time for it. I'm hoping we don't. I'm hoping we can... <laughs> 
I'm hoping we can reschedule. No accountability here. Can we reschedule that? Which is kind of the theme there, rescheduling a little bit. Punting. We're not punting downstream uh, to later, but uh, a little bit of rescheduling. So uh, we'll get to that as well if we can. And um, okay, so there we go. So Carrie, let's start with this letter from St. John Bosco. So folks, you know, a 19th century saint, very prophetic. He was the one who had this prophetic dream of the, the church in a storm, and there were pillars that um, were going to save the church in the storm. The, the pillars were the Eucharist and the Blessed Mother, uh, interestingly. And, and so here he is. He is in uh, Milan, and he, is, he has a, uh, an orphanage for a lot of these street urchins, you know, for these young boys who are homeless, and he takes them in, and he's going to take care of them. And they have a really great saint movie that follows his life, and I think it's in Italian. It's in Italian. It yeah, is. Yeah, it's very well done. Yeah, it is very well done. Do you remember the name of it? I don't remember the name of it. Okay. I think it's called uh, San Giovanni Bosco. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look it up, but anyhow, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's so it has subtitles, but the thing that struck me about the movie was the level of, I want to say physicality, but I really almost mean violence. Do you remember how, like, it was it was a, a manly, like, almost violent movie. I don't have that memory You don't all. remember that? No. It was, well, it, was, it wasn't just the boys and what they were facing, but how he had to, um, you know, shepherd these boys as a father to them, as a, as a priestly father to them, and, and in the place of being a father. And we're going to hear about that. Uh, the name of the movie? Oh, St. John Bosco, Mission of Love. Passion of Love. Mission to Love. The Mission to Love. Yeah. And it has a big picture of him and his priestly, I called it, <laughs> I told the seminarians, I said, hey, when you come to the basketball game, where are your, where are your costumes? I was teasing them. <laughs> they started laughing. I go, I know it's not called that. But yeah, he's wearing his best, his religious. Clerics. Clerics. Thank you. Yes. It's hard words. Yeah. Anyhow, I'm sure if you've been on Amazon, it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, so, great. But it, it is like subtitle. But it, well, the, and, the beauty and, about the movie is you get the feel that you're in Italy. You get the feel that it is taking place way back when. It, there's an authenticity and a real like sense of... It's rough. These are not... It's not comfortable. It's not a comfortable existence. It's a difficult existence. And he uh, you know, battles to save souls and to save boys. And it's really powerful. Yes. So, in fact, the it's interesting. The title of this particular letter is "I have always labored out of love." Nice. Yeah, I've always labored out of love. So we're going to read uh, sections of it and uh, just draw out insights that I think were um, uh, again really profound. Uh, and I'm going to go fast. So first of all, he says, if we wish to appear concerned about the true happiness of our foster children, if we would move them to fulfill their duties, you must never forget that you're taking the place of the parents of these beloved young people. And that's been a theme all week, Carrie, all week. Uh, we're talking about uh, Catholic Schools Week and how schools function in loco parentes, right? You remember, you hear that phrase all the time. Yes. In the place, in the place of the parents. Of, yeah. And so uh, he is living that at a whole other level, um, uh, having an orphanage where he literally is taking the place of the parents. And then... He raises up this vision that I've always labored lovingly for them and carried out my priestly duties with zeal. And the whole Salesian society has done this with me. And so now he gets into the part where it's like, uh-oh, this is like shining a bright spotlight. 
My sons, and, and he's talking to his brother priests, my sons, in my long experience, very often I had to be convinced of this great truth. It is easier to become angry than to restrain oneself and to threaten a boy than to persuade him. Yes, indeed, it's more fitting to be persistent in punishing our own impatience and pride than to correct the boys. We must be firm but kind and be patient with them. So when I read that, Carrie, what is so um, like un, um, like new is that he talks about restraining. He talks about punishing. He talks about um, this idea of being persistent. But all of those, let's call them more negative, uh, energetic kind of actions, where are they directed? Towards himself. Yeah. That was so surprising. I don't think I've ever read that in a parenting book. <laughs> that is actually so true. Where I think our, our tendency is to naturally blame, go after the kid, point out their fault, uh, reprimand. And it's their fault that we got so mad. And it's, I tell them that too. <laughs> As if I have to tell you three times. I, I think um, that it's uh, not that we even need to correct sometimes when I'm correcting my kids they don't even need me to say anything because they know what they did wrong I know what they did wrong and it just is this kind of blah 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 you know what I'm saying so the fact that he is calling himself to refrain and to call his own impatience into into to punish it submission I wonder what that would mean like we think it's easy it's easy for us to come up with a punishment and you're good at it. You're like that's it. You're not stepping outside this door for 5 years, right? Well, we very were... realistic, very measured, very rational. Hey, I had a pretty good one. Um I wanted to give my kids a little lesson about something and I can't remember exactly what it was. Um it was very important. But one of my daughters started to say, oh, mom, if we have to, so I said, that's it. I pulled the car over. I said, you can walk home. I'm speaking here. I'm going to be preaching. This is my car. And if you don't want to hear me, that's totally fine. But you're walking home. And she just kind of looked at me like, because my mom lost her head. And I felt so good saying that. (laughs) And then one kid called her sister stupid. And the other one called her back idiot. And I go, Pulled the car over. This is all in the same after school. We went to get groceries. Well, you had quite a day. I know. I kept pulling that car over. <laughs> I felt very powerful now that I could kick him out of my car. I was like, why didn't I learn this sooner? Hey. And I just said, and not in a gentle, loving, affirming, whatever. I was reprimanding. When we get home, you two are unloading the entire car. And then you're going to unload the groceries into the refrigerator and into the, the pantry, whatever. Because we are not going to be calling each other these names. We're not even going to use these names. I didn't even allow my students when I taught to use the S words, which was stupid, shut up, and sucks. I said, I never want to hear those in our house. And in the last 30 seconds, I just heard you two call each other words. And I said, do you know what the scriptures say about that? Do you know what Jesus says about when you call your brother an idiot? And anyhow, I think that that's why... It's easier to become angry than to restrain (laughs) oneself, to threaten a child than to persuade him. So do you think you persuaded them? Uh, No, no. They knew what they did wrong. And I don't know why I keep doing that. And it's really funny. Well, it's easier. That's why. It's almost uh, more satisfying to think. I think think it feels like if I say it, I fix it. Like I need to fix them or this situation or the spirit in the car. And I really feel, and I know it's not going to, in the moment, I need to say it to fix it. I was trying to fix the dog earlier that day. Do you remember how I unloaded on the dog? 
<laughs> I don't know. You have such a love-hate relationship with that dog. Oh, I unloaded on the dog. Okay, that's probably a good thing to unload on the dog because they won't hold it against you. That's right. They will not. That's a gift. So I, I get this idea of just pondering the idea of saying, how do we use St. John Bosco's writing here to say there's merit? that there's insight, there's something that's deep here that's worth remembering? How do we gently bring that back to each other's attention um, in the moment? And what I'm actually saying is, how do I bring this to your attention in I the know. moment? I don't know. I don't know. Pray for me. I, I should read this all during Lent every day. I'll have it tattooed on my arm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I give you... I don't think you need a tattoo. How about just put it on the mirror? <sighs> Um, but you know what? If the kids saw that, oh, they would just love that. And, you know, kids are really good at floating things out there to see and get a reaction, right? You were saying that about our 13-year-old, no, 14-year-old daughter, that she's at that stage where it's like, oh, I'm going to get a reaction out of my dad. And so she just floated out statements now, and I'm getting better at it. But here's the thing. I would have been whipped around by all of that if it wasn't for you. So you do have that kind of intuition that thanks be to God, you bring that into our marriage and you help me because otherwise I think I would be so reactive to statements that are like, no, 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 that can't be the case. Hey, let me do this. Let me go after that. Yeah. And, and I, not, not bring about the good. I think also you will give a discipline. This happened to our son the other night and you will want him to respond and to buy into or to be convinced of how you are presenting your, it's not an argument, it's more like an explanation of something. And I feel like kids hear us and then they take it in to an, a degree. But if we say it over and over, we lose them and it loses the power. But it's, we can't convince or get people to side with us in the initial sharing. It needs to just float out there and then come back around a couple of days later. Or a week so that's later. interesting. So I don't it feels know. like, um, so my like weakness in terms of the the way that I will correct my kids or admonish them is that I'll do it through intensity and repetition. Uh, and <laughs> that's what I do though all the time. Do no, them. <laughs> I think that you do it different. I'm I think it's like rah, 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 rah. <laughs> yeah. I think that well, you would use more anger and. Um, uh, so I think my repetition is I can't keep pre I, like I won't let go. Okay. Um, I think that maybe yours is more. Um, it's well, you don't let go either. I think, but it, it's not the same way. It, it feels different. No, when I see you, it's like you, you're like relentless. You're, you're relentless. I think sometimes. Well, yeah. When I when get you don't irritated. see the kids respond. Yeah, when I right? don't see them respond, and then. That's probably so, the worst time to discipline. I, I want to come back to St. John Bosco because he has um, a section in here that talks about correcting mistakes and how we don't use authority except for the purpose of serving our kids better. That authority is for the sake of serving them. And then he gives an incredible set of insights into what that means. And we'll talk about those in just a minute on the program. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. 
If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. We're beginning here, uh, Carrie and I talking about St. John Bosco and kind of uh, exposing the fact that we're not always the best at being patient with our kids um, when they are misbehaving, um, when they are uh, acting in ways that are well, contrary to what we we you know, have as uh, house rules or just being knuckleheads generally. Um, so uh, St. John Bosco, he says this idea of using authority to serve better. He says, this was the method that Jesus used with the apostles. He put up with their ignorance and roughness and even their infidelity. He treated sinners with the kindness and affection that caused some to be shocked, others to be scandalized, and still others to hope for God's mercy. And so he bade us, or he bids us, to be gentle and humble of heart. They are our sons. So in correcting their mistakes, we must lay aside all anger and restrain it so firmly that it is extinguished entirely. Again, you see that this same theme, Carrie, showing up, that you have a situation where someone has failed you, we're referring to Jesus with these sinners. And he identifies the fact that Jesus leads with mercy, leads with kindness, leads even with affection towards those who are rough, who are ignorant, and who are unfaithful. And he did it to such a degree that it was shocking to those that were around him. And I... I hold that up again as something that I just have never read in like a parent book around how do you relate to the energy that stirs in you when you see your kids falling short and settling for less or responding badly in the home. So um, I'm wondering, like, what does it mean to lay aside all anger? Just like lay it aside and then restrain it so firmly that it's extinguished entirely. Like imagine extinguishing anger. It's a yeah. pretty striking thing. And it says, let us place ourselves in their service. So in that mid- in the midst of being, trying to help them grow, we're there to serve them, not to admonish them or assume a, a spirit or an attitude of superiority. Right. Let us not rule over them except for the purpose of serving them better. Yes. I mean, just this whole mindset is so beautiful and freeing. And imagine just how... A, um, transformative that encounter with us in the moment where they're failing and struggling and they know m- most kids know when they've done wrong and we don't need to just like stick it in their face <laughs> but to come with that spirit of mercy and kindness and say how can we serve you how can we help you right now when you're really struggling with a bad attitude or whatever it is right so I would say let's get I have a couple of examples I'm thinking of oh. like just for instance um, we do when we serve meals we keep the food up at the, in the kitchen and kind of put it out. How, how do you, it's kind of like buffet style. Yes. And so everyone fills their plates and then they go to the table and they know that the standard, the rule is you wait, you wait until mom sits down. You typically are going last. And then we pray a blessing over the meal and then we eat the food. And I think that's a great example right there of how do we relate to the kids who in their own minds have every good reason to just jump in and start eating. 
They don't wait for others. And sometimes it's careless, right? Or sometimes it's, I'm just really hungry and I should be able to get started. And so in their own minds, they're rationalizing what their behavior is, or they're just disobedient and they're going to do it anyways because they want to eat. But whatever though, whatever it is that's going on on the inside of that particular kid, how do you admonish that child? Just make them feel a ton of pain <laughs> so they'll never do it again. Right. So like, like yep, you're, you are grounded <laughs> for the next three Friday, you know, weekends, right? <laughs> I do. I made them bring all the groceries in and unload it. That's it. If you eat before we start, you get to do the dishes. I don't know. So it's a heart. It is where it transforms from the heart. It is a selfless act. It right. is a, a level of maturity. And So instead of saying, hey, you know better than that, I think it's something as simple as saying, hey, let's wait for mom to be grateful for all that she's done to put together this beautiful meal. Hey, let's wait for each other so we can have a family meal, not just eating on your own. Now, I think a lot of that's tone of voice and spirit, right? Nope. Like what's the spirit that you're, you're evo- you know, you're radiating. To be really effective, Tom, I'll yeah. tell you what to do. Go ahead. Tell me. <laughs> After the meal is over, you take that child aside or just say, hey, so-and-so, can you just wait here for a moment? I want to talk to you. And it's a quiet, personal, one-on-one conversation that you have with that child. And it's a heart-to-heart and it's, you know, mom did this, and I noticed she started eating, and we've been really trying to work on this. I just really encourage you to think about this action, and then let them think, and then just say, but you know, next time this happens, you're going to be doing the dishes. Do you do that? No. <laughs> Isn't that a brilliant I, idea? I, I like I mean, I'm like, who is this woman? Who, I who know just, it would work. just came in the room here? It's just, you're not, I'm going 100 miles an hour, 50, day, 50 ways to Sunday. I just cannot um, slow down enough to be caught up in that clear thinking mode of hey, well, restraining so, anger so firmly that it's extinguished entirely but how impactful so, is it if your dad wants to have a one-on-one with you if your dad said hey tommy would you just stay here for a moment and i'll talk to I you i think i'd be scared right <laughs> good <Yeah. laughs> scare them into obedience yeah yeah i think that well and i think one way that i do it is i i'm i'm very i have a lot of care over language and so even when my boys in high school have their high school friends over who are junior, sophomores, juniors, or seniors, and they say a word, like one of those S words, I'll just gently say, hey, we don't use that word in the house. And I think, I don't do it with anger. I don't do it in a gotcha spirit, but I do do it. I don't let it pass. I just want to raise the standard of what's expected in in the uh, in the house. So, I think that I'm I'm not sort of a like hyper about language, but I am attentive. I think that's and I think that's part of me protecting my kids. So, I think that might be an example of of where I'm on the way. I feel like I'm actually doing it pretty well. Hmm. I like where it says there must. Be no hostility okay, in their Okay, hold on. That's the next section. This is a very powerful oh, section. Did so I let's, skip let's, something? No, no, you did it. This is a really good one. So let's carefully read it. You can read it. <laughs> carefully. Well, let me emphasize it. I'm going to read it because I know what I know how I want it read, dear. Okay, okay let me say it. Can you see I'm moving on? Yeah, let's yeah. move on. Come on, dear. Move it on. Uh, okay, listen now. This is, again, St. John Bosco's letter to his brother priests, the Salesians, about the boys in their, um, in their care, the, their orphans. 
There must be no hostility in our minds, no contempt in our eyes, no insult on our lips. We must use mercy for the present and have hope for the future, as is fitting for true fathers who are eager for real correction and improvement. I, and I, I like to say that he chose those things intentionally, right? They weren't just stringing together words that sounded good, and I should probably mention something about that. Hostility in the mind, contempt in the eyes, insult on the lips. Don't you see how those are linked together? Yes. Very, very powerful. I, I, I would say, which of those three strikes you the most? I think the eyes. Yeah. No contempt in our eyes. Because I think you can have, I, I know when I can look at my child and connect eye to eye and they see the joy, the care, the attentiveness I have to them. I just don't think there's a better way to show love is by giving them my full undivided attention. And one key way a child knows that is if you make eye contact and you're looking at them and you're waiting, uh, not just like, come on, but like joyfully excited as to what they want to share, what they want to say. And eyes have a powerful way of connecting that I don't think I realize all the time. I think that one of the things that um, has uh, weakened the power of the eyes today is smartphones. Because it's become commonplace for people, maybe parents and kids and their kids, to be having conversations while one or the other or both are actually looking at their phones. That's really true. So the idea of eye-to-eye contact and undisturbed, undivided contact is just less common. But you know that word, no contempt in our eyes? That's a strong word. Can I give you another word for contempt? Disgust. And... You can't just, when you say like the eyes are expressing something, it ends up being the whole face, right? You can, the, the energy there that's there, right? Yeah, that's so good. That when you say, if you had this idea in your mind that this child that I love, this child that I've lived for, sacrificed for, this child that I would die for, in this moment, I feel a sense of disgust or contempt for how they're behaving right now, and how it, they're showing up. And it doesn't even have to be a big darkness. It could just be that they didn't pick something up and they refuse to let their sister go first or where they sit in the car. I mean, it doesn't have to be... The thing is, it doesn't have to be this major moral failure. It could be just something really simple. I think, let's call it, like, you know, they talk about the perfect storm, right? You get this convergence of like bad things happening. And so the bad thing happening in the parent is often we're just spent, got nothing left, like don't have a lot of that positive energy left inside. Or uh, the energy is right now focused on and trying to get these three other things done. And the kids all of a sudden are going at Disrupted it. Disrupted that, knocked you off your track. <laughs> Doesn't take much. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Or so, yeah. So either you're really tired or you're really busy about other things, and then they're stepping out of line in a way that's just not acceptable, and they're not appreciating what it is you're facing. I also wanted to say, though, it's not just busyness, and it's not just that you're you're empty because you're tired. It can also be there's something really hard going on. 
that you're a bit overwhelmed, you're a bit sad, you're a bit anxious. Yes, yes. Right? There's an emotional wound that is present in, in you or in me. And it's in that moment where, guess what? We got no energy left, doing other things, and also feeling wounded. And then they come in like this. And all of a sudden, our reaction is way beyond what what is actually connected to what they've been doing. And it's much more reflective of the limitations that we are bringing to the table in that moment. That's so true. So true. So in terms of addressing that, St. John Bosco is saying, look, use mercy, lead with mercy. And I think that what I'd like to say is it's not just mercy towards them. It's also mercy on ourselves. What does that look like? I think that give ourselves some space to say, I'm not always going to be perfect in how I react to you. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard moment right now. It's been a long day. I've been really distracted. Please forgive me. I overreacted in how you behaved. Now, what you did was really wrong. You can't say all that, right? (laughs) Darn. darn. Yeah. Uh, But I think that that that's also a powerful reminder to the kids that not only are we not perfect, but we'll also act from a place that is not always um, healthy as well. Yes. It's funny is when I'm... (laughs) When I'm kind of losing it or just not able to say what I need to say in, in this short time because something's happening, I'll say, you guys, I'm sorry, but right now there's several things going on and I just cannot talk to you about the different things you want to talk to me about because I'm trying to do these four other things that are really important because we have to get out the door and da-da. I said, and I just, this is not the best me and I'm sorry. Like, so as, as I'm- you say that? Yes. Yeah, because I, I don't think I've ever heard that. Like that. I Just the other day. Yeah. You know, I think that's I came, awesome. I came over the conference and- we had to get the boys to protocol, and they had to have their suits, you know, ironed and shoes clean and all this. And Annalise wanted to share me this brilliant idea she had for earning money. And Liliana wanted to tell me what poem she was going to read. And Lucy, they all came at me because I was gone all day. And I was just like, ah, you guys, time out. You don't understand. And then, and then I had three people trying to call me to get a hold of me because my phone was let, gone. I left my phone at home all day. And these were like urgent calls that needed to be attended to like two hours ago. And it was just this convergence of... Ah, uh, hey, that sounds like my normal day. <laughs> That's right. Hey, welcome to my life, dear. I oh, like that. I should leave my phone home more often. Yes, I. But yeah, that is being pulled in many directions, and they all have a sense of urgency to them. It can lead to a pretty overwhelming sense of life, and when I, I think what that points to is first of all, really, really, truly, first of all, putting God first in prayer. Yes. Starting your day with the Lord first in prayer. Because it's I have found it so true, brothers and sisters. If you fight for God in your life, you fight to put God first in your life. You fight for God and time to be with God in prayer as the first priority in your life. God fights your battles. God goes before you and makes things easier. God takes care of so many things that you don't even ever have to face. And when you face these other things that come at you, you have the strength that's provided by God. You find that graciousness. Because life is like that, brothers and sisters, we must not ever leave prayer and putting prayer time with the Lord on the sidelines or a second priority. So true, Tom. So I... It, it's almost a daily 
almost a daily temptation to me that, okay, is my habit, I get up, I pray, I go to mass, or is it not? And having to say it's the habit, so it's not even a choice anymore. It's just the natural flow and doing that. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about mass. We're going to talk about mass and uh, some conversations in the stands. I'm excited to get to those today on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Today on the program, Carrie and I are, we were starting with this beautiful letter from St. John Bosco. You can find it in Liturgy of the Hours. That's where I got it, in the Office of Readings for the Feast Day of St. John Bosco, which was January the 31st. Uh, in that section, there is this beautiful letter. I, I'm just going to end with the last quote, Carrie. It's just worth saying. In serious matters, it is better to beg God humbly than to send forth a flood of words that will only offend the listeners and have no effect on those who are guilty. Isn't that powerful? So good. That's about prayer. Unless we're begging the Lord in prayer for grace and relying on Him, then we can spend a lot of time and energy and words and not have the effect that we want. But give God room to act is really about praying. It's about giving the Lord that space to pray. So, um, so Carrie, let's, let's talk about that. I know that in the past week or so, we've been in the stands a number of times in some in different settings. And in those settings, we ended up talking to a number of folks about mass of all things and attendance at mass. And um, Father Lewis um, was there uh, at uh, two basketball games, actually. And we had a couple of seminarians, one for the, uh, I think he's for the Diocese of Spokane, not for Boise, Idaho. I don't remember. He lives in he lives in Idaho, but he I I'm pretty sure he's studying for the Diocese of Spokane. The other one is for I think in uh, California. Down in California. Yeah. And then the one that came over was from um Oregon. Uh, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. So um so where do you want to start? Which conversation jumped out at you? Well, I think what struck me was what you said earlier today. You just in a whole new way said, I really have a hard time praying. What did you say? How you pray during the mass when there's when there's the back and forth going on between you and the celebrant? Well, you you were talking about you used the phrase a heavy lift and a while back. A while back, you used the phrase a heavy lift to refer to the traditional Latin mass. It's a heavy lift being present at a mass that's principally in silence in a language that is uh, not English. And uh, you can't really see a lot of what the priest is doing. And so it's a heavy lift, especially for kids as well. Coming back to the Novus Ordo, Mass in English, where the celebrant is facing you, and it's the you know Mass most people that are listening to us know of, to experience the idea that it's a heavy lift when you are now asked to interact, the dialogue form of the Mass where you're looking the priest in the eyes. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Yeah, and, and there's the, <laughs> the, the call and response. Yes. Right? That, that's a heavy lift. And I, um, so my, I'll kind of say it out loud. So I go to um, Latin Mass during the week, and I go to Mass in English on Sundays. So I, I'm experiencing both as a typical part of my um, weekly experience. Um, and so... I came back from the traditional Latin Mass yesterday morning, and I was saying to you that 
maybe it's just for daily mass that is a, it's a more intimate environment it's smaller number of people and i'm able to be more intensely focused on giving my life to the lord in union with jesus christ and the sacrifice that he's offered on the cross what does that look like what like, that looks like what, is what are you praying during i'm i'm very quiet and while the priest is doing the first reading in Latin, and I can tell that he doesn't even know what he's saying because of how he's reading the <laughs> Latin. you know the Latin. <laughs> well, he's reading it. I'm like, okay, you stopped in the middle of the sentence again, right? So, well, and, and well, well, let's be honest, right? The priest knows the prayers that are the standard prayers of the liturgy, but the readings are changing every day. And so he's fighting his way through the Latin of the, of the first reading in the gospel, uh, though the Gospels, you can pick up a lot more. You, you know what's being said typically. Anyways, the so while he's doing that, I am firmly focused on, Lord, I'm, I'm here for Carrie. I'm praying for our marriage. I'm praying for each of our kids. And I name them. I name the people that come to my heart, the people that I promise to pray for. And I am begging the Lord to receive the self-offering that I'm making of myself, but for each of them. I have that strong, strong sense that I'm there in the place of, for the sake of, and on behalf of you, our marriage, each of our children by name, all of our children in my family, and then several others. And then also that, Lord, someone's going to die during this Mass. There are many that are going to die during the course of this Mass. I want to rescue them from hell. You died, and I'm here at that moment. Let it not be in vain, Lord. Please, I'm here on behalf of those who's now and at the hour of our death. This is the hour of their death. Do you hear him say, or do you sense uh, something back to you? Yeah, every once in a while I hear, ah, it wasn't enough. Yeah. Someone falling into that, hell. Yeah. You were too late, too slow, too little, Tom. Didn't get that one. No, I did not. Um, you're not. You're not looking to receive in that way. No, you're just no. It's to pour it's out. more about pouring out. Okay. It's more about that concept of self gift, self self offering, self sacrifice. Right. It the concept is that the mass is a sacrifice, and I'm invited to give myself in with Christ the High Priest. Well, He's made that present. Um. And the other thing that, so th there's that. And you know what? I don't think I'd be able to do that as easily if mass was in English, the priest was looking at me and there were all of the weightiness, the weight, the heavy lift of all of the words and prayers. Because my focus would be on, let me stay in the flow of what's happening here. I just stop responding and I just sit and read the gospels and pray. And I don't mean to be irreverent. I, and sometimes I'm like, is this okay if I do this? If I'm not saying, in the Lord be with you too, or whatever the response happens to be. Because even when I'm saying the responses, I feel so empty and flat. And even if I say it with a heart full of faith and excitement and anticipation, it just seems like this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't, I don't know how to fix it. So here's how I would say it. When I was in the seminary, so for those five years, I made it a, a devotion to 
um, have certain prayers uh, become memorized. I would memorize them. Memorize them in such a way that they would take flesh in my life. Like I wanted those words of the of the liturgical prayers to be so alive in me that I like my life would become those words. And the the theology of all of that is actually Aquinas, who says you become what you uh, Augustine says you become what you contemplate, and Aquinas says that you share with others in your preaching what you've contemplated. And so contemplate means you gaze upon in such a way that you're transformed into that which you're gazing upon. And so I would gaze upon these words of the liturgy and I would want them to become so alive in me that I would be bringing the weight of all of those years of prayer into any time that I would pray that prayer. You know who taught me that? Father Noonan. Uh, that was a, definitely a Father Noonan thing. And But who taught me it through the way he lived? Father, Father Forrest. Forrest. Father Forrest. Oh, so close. Father Tom Forrest. Okay. He he would be able to like read the gospel in our when we would do mass at the uh, at the office. He would read the gospel and then he would preach like some of the most profound homilies. And he had never read like never prepared. It was just like oh here's the gospel. And I asked him about it one time, and he said, "I've been praying these gospels." For 70 years, 60 years, they're they're in me. And so I just draw upon 60 years of prayer and preparation. So I don't need 60 minutes of prayer and preparation, which is just really profound. But so, he did 60 minutes of prayer every day. Well, least. yeah, he was bringing the prayer of that morning into the office, of, of course. So I think that it is a heavy burden that priests face when they are asked to preside at Mass. Because if they're not attuned spiritually in that moment, if they're not like having a vibrant sense of the living Lord in communion with them, then the big temptation is that they'll be just saying words. And that is such a heavy burden. I only just, just touch the sliver of it when I pray the Office of Readings in the morning, where I find myself stopping and going back to the beginning, almost every single time I pray the Office of Readings because I lose focus. And it's like, wait a minute, Lord, you deserve authentic prayer. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say it again. And then I've got to do it again. I've got to do it again. And it's, a, it's like a heavy weight to pray a prayer authentically. So that's what I was talking about. And there was one other element of the traditional Latin Mass that... I found really powerful, and that was the reverence that with the sense of the sanctuary separated and the altar reel there, and then they have the gate, they, you know, they've really formed in me this sense of we are here on the side of heaven, and you are here on the side of earth. And so, especially praying the Sanctus, the Holy, 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 I have a much stronger sense of the holiness of God, the infinite, eternal, big God before whom I shrink away as nothing. That is very life-giving, very challenging. All right, we're up against a break. Back in a minute with more of the show. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Connors. Great to be with you today. So, Carrie, we're talking about the Mass and conversations around the Mass um, that uh, have been alive in us and, and in the stands. Uh, I mention that because you and I were in the stands and we saw someone, a young person, I think she's like 21, 
or 20, yeah, I think around 21. And we knew her from the traditional Latin mass. And you started to talk with her. And what did you discover? Oh, she uh, just had said that she had stopped going to mass. And I'd asked her if she was going to like a Christian church or she said, no, no, I'm still Catholic. I said, great. Um, But she just said, I'm really trying to figure out my faith. I grew up in a very strict home, a lot of rules, a lot of uh, clear should and should nots. And I think she just did not sense that relationship with Christ or the love and the mercy and the goodness of God in a way that kept her, um, she said she, she needed to grow through some things. That was, you know, all she said, really. Well, and when you said that to me, it, it, just reminded me of a number of conversations I've had through the years of young people that grew up in homes that are sometimes, maybe they're more drawn to the traditional Latin mass, where there is a greater sense, a very strong sense, right and wrong, black and white, believe this, act this way, and this is what we are requiring of you in this home regarding religious practice. And that's one of those things that can um, lead to outward conformity and maybe a very vigorous conformity in both expression of belief, behaviors that are, uh, that are maybe very tightly uh, imposed, and then um, the required involvement in going to mass and, and other church functions, uh, that every good intent, but for the kids, if they don't have a sense of, you know, there's an invitation to life here. There's an invitation to be open to experience the, the love in the heart of Christ that you can end up having kids be in homes that preserved them from a lot of, um, a lot of darkness but in the end ends up uh, closing them off from um, maybe seeing that form of practice of the faith as life-giving. Yeah, I think as a parent, it's really hard to walk that line. I know when we were uh, more regularly going to the Latin Mass, there was a stronger sense of right and wrong. Our kids more regularly talked about sin and having to go to confession and I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. You're wrong. This is not right. So there was this kind of law. I don't feel like there was, for them, a grace. And I'm not necessarily even, to be honest, I'm not even sure that that was a, a better option for us to not be going. Um, I'm just being really honest. I just know, though, that if the emphasis for me personally was always on what did I do wrong. It felt like a gotcha. It felt like I was... Um, just always trying to more focus on how I was behaving, not really where my heart was, um, and then what I should confess. I don't know, Tom. It's it's hard because I, I love the Latin Mass, and I really love the families there, and this isn't to put any of them down at all. It's just there's a rigidness in that culture spirit, in that spirit, or in that atmosphere, in that space that because they desire because there's this desire for holiness and getting closer to God and, and pleasing the Father and 
doing the, but then I think it just fell more to not pleasing the father, but following the rules. Right. So there's a difference between clarity and rigidity. And I think that um, I really appreciated clarity and the courage to speak clearly about messages that ought to be said. I love the clarity that we got going to the Latin Mass and being in that environment. Yeah. The teaching, the homilies. Especially during COVID. Yeah. I mean, especially when things were really hard. Right. And what was most important, and they always got that right, was well, heaven, and let me eternity. Tell you, so coming from, coming from the Puget Sound and, and from the church where we were uh, attending, um, for the most part, um, having a sense of clarity and addressing the most pressing issues of our day with a sense of conviction and strength that what the church teaches is not just true, but good and beautiful, was very liberating. It, it was restorative is the word. And then inviting the kids to realize what's at stake in life is heaven and hell. And choose the Lord means choosing to walk the path of life and forsaking sin and repenting of sin and going to confession. Incredibly restorative. That's a great word. And so it felt like, no, no, it felt like it was the case and is the case that our kids experienced tremendous, let's call it spiritual detoxification and intellectual uh, uh uh, a, a vigor in terms of understanding the world in a Catholic way. And I, it feels like now that, okay, my kids have gotten back onto an, even our kids have gotten back onto a, like a, a firmer foundation that they can bring that gift back to a mass that um, is closer to home and has friends from school at it and uh, is something that is not as heavy a lift for them but they still are bringing the gifts that they received, the reverence in dress and in prayer, going to confession, uh, how, on they, the how they receive communion kneeling on the down. tongue, yeah. uh, or kneeling down on the tongue. And I, I, I give a lot of credit to Father Lewis for that, that he's open and receptive and promotes a reverent way of celebrating Mass. Yeah, for sure, Tom. Uh, so just back to the gal that I was talking with, I think that that kind of goes back to, um, I guess, not to just overstate, there's nowhere that's perfect, but I definitely feel that there was a lot of, what you said, restoration in going there. But I think some families in this particular family, they had been born and raised in that environment. So it is interesting, if you're just a Latin Mass person from your birth, it's the faith is a very different experience than if you come from the Novus Ordo then go there and then try to reconcile the two worlds. <laughs> it feels like two worlds, two religions. Synthesize, Plus right? How do, you, how do you allow them to enrich each other, right? I feel like it's easier to enrich the Novus Ordo if you come from the Latin Mass because you can bring a spirit of reverence. For sure. And, and you can mm -hmm. challenge the spirit of being casual. There, there are easy ways of enhancing what happens at a Mass in English by bringing elements of the traditional Latin Mass to it. I think it is harder to figure out ways to um, enhance the experience of the traditional Latin Mass with anything that's coming from the Novus Ordo. You're so true, though, in saying that they, our kids, and us, we were able to take so much of what we learned at the Latin Mass and bring it into our daily Mass or into the Novus Ordo Mass. And 
And I see it more and more with Novus Ordo people. I see more veils. I see more kneeling. I see more reverence. I see more... It, it does seem... And then there are different churches that we go to that just way more attentiveness to what's happening. Um, it was interesting. We went to... I had a conference that I was attending this past weekend with the women. And it was a great conference, a ton of women, 400 people. And the uh, speaker was... She was good. The priest, though... Really liked him. He's very articulate. He's from the Greg or from the North American College, and so every word was very precisely chosen. He must have been profound, <laughs> like good-looking, profound. athletic, really holy. Anybody goes to the Greg? Sorry, <laughs> but he was just making different points on how to grow in holiness. And his last point was about veils and women wearing veils, which was really I've not heard any real homily on that or teaching on that. But he just said, and, and he's traveled all over the world: Afghanistan, Pennsylvania. Uh, Afghanistan and Pennsylvania. Well, I know, oh, just I say all over the Germany. <laughs> he was in the Air Force, <laughs> and he went to Greece. That's amazing. So, Sorry, but he just said uh, in his experience in the places he's visited, where there are more women wearing the veil, you can sense a stronger presence of faith in the community. And you know, take that for what it is. But he kind of elaborated on that and really went into just the beauty in the the reverence in the the elevation that one that a woman receives when we enter into that that mass with the sense of preciousness and uh, God veils what's sacred. Yeah. Anyhow, he he gave about 20, 10 minutes on the veil. Did he really? Maybe. Yeah. That's it was pretty strong. It was a strong. That's amazing. Like, really I, I don't think con- I've ever heard a a, a talk um, ex- except in maybe a traditional Latin mass setting mm-hmm. that emphasized the idea of a veil or a veiling. Boy, that's really cool. Anyhow, it was what he said, and, and I can't articulate because I didn't take notes. It was actually pretty well. I, I learned a few things, and I thought his con- his own faith and his conviction in a very beautiful way was convincing. Like he really, everything he shared or taught on had a lot of weight to it. He just had a weighty, well, that's holiness, magnanimous, right? Holiness. Do you know what the word holy means? Weight. Well, it was There's waiting. a weightiness to the words because they're rooted in a union with God and it comes out into the open. That's Aquinas again. Yeah. So. so you could tell that he meant it and that he lived it and you wanted to follow his. That's beautiful. Teacher. Carrie, we're out of time. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you all for listening. God bless you. Join me on Monday for more Sun Insight.